Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Chris Anthigiotis. In this edition, we look outwards to our regional towns. Just as desperate for news during this pandemic as their city cousins, yet the news coming from those towns is closing papers. We ask, how do we keep our regional newspapers going when our economy is in a self-induced coma? From dealing with long-term drought, catastrophic bushfires, and the ever-present force of digital disruption, regional media was already doing it tough before COVID-19 came along. In this fragile state, the coronavirus and its economic fallout has ripped through regional newsrooms and caused a string of closures, including 60 titles being suspended by News Corp. So what does this mean now? And when normal life returns, what will be lost and lost forever? With me, metaphorically speaking, of course, we're all actually on Zoom, is an expert panel who are going to shed light on what silencing of the presses means for communities and journalism, and we hope to talk about some ways through to the other side. Saffron Howden is a journalist and co-founder of the children's paper, Crickling News. She started her career as a cadet journalist at Australian Associated Press and has worked at the Daily Telegraph and the Sydney Morning Herald. She has also worked in regional media at the Northern Star on the New South Wales North Coast and over the last couple of years has got to know the regional news industry from a different vantage point, touring the country, conducting digital training through the Google News Initiative. Welcome, Saffron. Thanks for having me. Brooke Littlewood is a young journalist on the Sunraysia Daily, a paper which has shut its presses and which is trying to keep people on board. She has also worked at the Southern Eastern Times in Millicent, South Australia, and was the winner of 2018 Country Press South Australia Young Journalist of the Year. Welcome, Brooke. Thank you for having me. Robert Whitehead is a disruptionist who finds growth in the media. So he has his work cut out for him on this program. He has held a number of senior positions at Fairfax, including editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, a position he held for five years. Among his many and very disruptor roles, he's on the board of McPherson Media Group, which publishes 16 regional titles, their flagship paper being the Shepherd and News. Robert, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, I should declare I'm going to be a little bit biased when it comes to the importance of regional and community media. I cut my teeth at the Weekly Times in Ride and then the Daily Liberal in Dubbo, and that's not unusual. At the start of this year, had something like 540-odd papers, employing something in the order of 2,300 journalists. Brooke Littlewood, I'd like to start with you. Since stopping the presses, what is affectionately known in the community as the Sunny D, um, you personally had an outpouring of support and gratitude on Twitter. Why? What are people afraid they're going to lose and what have you lost? I think people are afraid that they're going to lose their voice and also a, a valuable and reliable daily news source. For me, well, I'd lost my job and my purpose. Um, that was the reason, like I said, I got up every day, was knowing that I could go into work and you know, produce news stories for the community. And, yeah, that was, re- that was really important to me. Um, obviously, we have the, comp- the opportunity to be writing again, um, one newspaper a week on Saturday, so that's really great. Um, I'm grateful for that. There was actually people on Twitter saying that, you know, the Sunny D brings the community together, uh, 
holds government to account. Do you think that that's true? Yeah, definitely. I, um, I definitely think that's true. And we have done so for the past 100 years. The response when we announced that we were stopping printing was overwhelming. The Yeah, the community were really devastated by that. You know, I feel like they felt like they'd, they'd lost their voice, like I said, which is really important in regional communities that they do um, have a local newspaper. So, yeah, they do have that voice. Saffron, you wrote about the loss of regional papers about the country, particularly the bitter irony of closures at a time when people want more reportage than ever. What do you see is happening right now? I don't think it's anything short of a tragedy what's happening at the moment. Um, Regional and local news are so phenomenally important, particularly at a time like this when People need local specific information around health and resourcing and that kind of thing. Um, And the the best, most reliable quality place to get that is their local paper. And to see so many, um, not only closing, we've seen quite a lot of closures, um, particularly in Victoria, but in New South Wales, papers affected in Queensland, but even just um, local papers Uh, reducing the number of pages they're publishing due to a lack of advertising and also um, laying off staff. So we're seeing job losses as well. And what this means is, as Brooke has put so eloquently, this is a loss of voice for the community. In, In a lot of regional areas in Australia, the local paper is their only source of quality journalism covering local issues that literally no one else is going to cover, the local sporting teams, the local council, uh, local businesses, wins for, for the local school, all stuff that keeps a community together, that, that gives it a central place to exchange ideas and to celebrate and grieve together. And that's why I think regional and local papers are so phenomenally important and the work that people like Brooke do is um, is essential. It's an essential um, role that regional and local journalists play in our society. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Neither could have I. <laughs> that's what I wanted to say, kind of. <laughs> and that's what I want to say, so that's yes. it. No. <laughs> We're all in furious agreement here. Robert, if I can come to you, disruption in the media is nothing new at the moment. Yet, is this something different? Is this different from the death of a thousand cuts as advertising dollars in print turn into cents online? Regional media is in the middle of almost unprecedented economic meltdown. Do you see it that way? Yes, I do. But I also think it's the biggest opportunity in 20 years to reset uh, and to achieve sustainability that thus far has been elusive. So uh, I'm definitely a hand sanitizer bottle half full guy on this. Okay. Um, I like the hand sanitizer bottle half full uh, analogy. Look, I... we, we, we've dealt with lots of forms of, uh, of disruption in, in this game and the, the regions were the last to be hit by... Uh, you know, the, the core of digital disruption. The metros and the nationals uh, took it first. Uh, first up, that was due to broadband availability. It was due to greater investment in the cities on the, the part of media. And the advertising did not change first and foremost in rural and regional areas. It took a while for those waves to crash inland. And they have crashed inland. And uh, we have woken up in 
2021 to find that Facebook is the biggest uh, display advertising uh, platform in the world. Uh, Google is the biggest overall advertising uh, vehicle in the world. And uh, it is really, really easy now for uh, small businesses right across Australia to go to the digital platforms uh, to reach their audiences. And the investment that should have been made in the regional uh, businesses wasn't made. Um, and certainly not to any extent that it was in the in the bigger companies, and we've been caught flat-footed. All right, so we've been caught flat-footed. Does that mean that print is dead? Saffron, you actually started Crinkling News as a print paper. Is there something special about print? Look, I think there is. I'm incredibly biased um, because I love print newspapers. Um, I think there's something just on a personal level, something really lovely about having that tangible um, tactile experience with your news where you can hold it in your hands and you can walk around the house with it and take it out to the backyard um, you know, or out into your veranda. I think that um, that gives, gives a sense of connection to, to print that you just don't get um, when you're consuming news online, although I have to confess to being a huge consumer of news online um, as well. I think, um, you know, Robert's already mentioned that um, the, the the changes that have been underway for, you know, a couple of decades now in news and the shift to digital has come a bit more slowly to the regions. Um, you know, we've got a, a slightly older population um, statistically in the regions in Australia, um, which has helped um, along with the fact that you've got these local newspapers that um, are often, you know, owned by local families. Um, they're very connected in with the local community, and there's a there's a ritual attached to the to the print um, edition um, in these in a lot of these communities. Um, I don't think print will ever be dead. Um, I think there's obviously a big shift away from it, um, and you know we're increasingly going to see. Um, you know, fewer digital editions. Um, we might see a scenario where, um, you know, um, uh, papers like the Sunraiser Daily going weekly at the moment as a result of coronavirus, that extends more widely as to something that, that um, these publications do. And that applies to metros as well, that you'll have fewer print editions. And, and I also think that, you know, broadly speaking across the media, that the print editions will, will go to a more niche audience. And in effect, um, in effect, regional newspapers, local newspapers are, are niche, you know, niche publications in a sense because they're going to a specific local community, not looking for that broad, wide reach um, like the metros um, do going to be a mix of things but uh, you know I've got a lot of views on how we continue to support that in the future. Robert what do you think? What's I, I think uh, print has a very specific uh, role and a renewed role to play in the mix. It, it's it's not just the demographics uh, that support it there are certain um, certain categories certain segments within readership where print is a very much valued add-on to a digital experience. And in fact, in the digital subscription game, uh, the retention and uh, price elasticity is way better for a publisher if there is a print and digital uh, subscription bundle together. What does that tell us? Print actually adds value. Print is a different lifestyle experience. Print uh, is read differently. It's it leads to serendipitous exploration of topics. Uh, I have 
a whole bunch of different uh, different reading habits. I subscribe globally to 18 paid digital subscriptions, partly because I'm a junkie, partly because I want to stay on what uh, what happens elsewhere. And every so often, some of the products that I only subscribe to digitally, I pick up and I just have a very different experience. And I, I remember why I prefer to read the Weekend Australian in print, why I love the financial review on a Friday in print. I read them differently. I learn differently. My brain acts differently. But we can't keep doing that if we haven't got the economics of the manufacturing process right. And that also includes the, the economics of the distribution process. And if we don't move fast as an industry, the regional industry and the metro industry together, we're going to find that those economics get away from us. The, there's been a huge change this year in the economics of trucking and home delivery. Uh, big revolution has started in New South Wales where the the major publishers have had to take back all of the uh, deliveries from um, newsagents. Um, if the newsagent network falls apart because print uh, circulation has been falling uh, and the home deliveries are taken away from them, we're actually potentially going to find that there isn't a network to deliver these, that there isn't the cost to be able to sustain the printing presses. So some of the stuff, some of that heavy work that we should have done to transform our cost base, to really improve our technology investments, have not been done. If we can reset our costs, if we can get the industry on a, to a permanently lower cost base, different technology platform, we will be able to keep printing what we want to print and what we want to print will always be much more finely attuned to what readers want. This is a chance to be able to reset those uh, parameters so that we can continue printing as long as our readers want it. And it's a really good companion to digital. So basically you're saying this is a clarion call. This is a... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And this is, you know, here's a, a quick example. Um, thanks to Nick Xenathon, uh, whom you might remember was a, uh, a senator from South Australia back in, back in the pre-coronavirus day. And he got um, a really interesting cross-bench bill through that uh, created the uh, Small Media um, Innovation Fund that allowed uh, a whole stack of money to go to the regions. Well, the second round of that, as an example, has been sitting with ACMA for the best part of half a year. The submission's closed, no money is distributed. There is no sense of urgency in the federal government. Coronavirus has changed that overnight. And I think we're going to see a really far-reaching uh, package of reforms that will start out of the federal government as early as next week. That just would not have happened without this. So the industry is already on the brink. You've mentioned drought that has affected so much of Australia um, and has uh, robbed so much of the advertising revenue. Cost-cutting, cost-cutting, cost-cutting in newsrooms and support activities have continued. Bushfires have uh, have come on top of that in, in, um, in vast regions. This is the this is the, the straw that didn't break the camel's back. This is the straw that finally gets the federal government attention. I'm not saying that all media companies have been fabulous over the past 25 years. I'm not saying that we have not been uh, guilty of ignoring what uh, the signals that very clearly came from regional media overseas. 
But the capital base of small regional companies is vastly different to the big players and the ability to invest has been seriously constrained. We need some assistance. We need some tax breaks. Of all the industries that get support, I picked TV, for example, as one where you can get all sorts of rebates and all sorts of, of um, benefits if you've been a uh, TV broadcaster. Yet at the grassroots, the people who actually produce the material, you know, I think collectively we write about, across all the uh, rural and regional publications, I think we write about 18,000 stories a week. You know, 8 million Australians live outside metro markets and as far as regulators uh, are concerned and federal government's concerned, it's like we haven't existed. Yeah, it's a really important point because... What overseas research shows is that newspapers are a keystone media, that most new news comes from newspapers. Brooke, I actually wanted to ask you, because you've been specialising in agricultural reporting, really important stories like the Menindee water situation. Do you think that working for a paper, for a paper with a print presence with a 100-year-old pedigree, helped you get access to those farmers, helped those stories get written? I think so. Um, I think the fact that I could get out there and meet those people and interact with them on a more personal basis and face-to-face, they, you know, I was able to build trusting relationships with these people and they felt um, more comfortable opening up to me. And, yeah, I I think that's really important. I also want to just ask the panel about the overseas situation because it's not just the case in Australia, where we're starting to wake up to the issue of how important regional newspapers are. Overseas, they've been talking about the problem of news deserts for a long time, especially in the US. And it's been linked to things actually like increasing polarisation and the breakdown of communities. Australia isn't quite the same political situation. However, I wonder if the actual important community building role of the press won't be seen until it's lost. I mean, I, th- I think in a, as a broad statement, um, you know, there, there's a big concern about that. That, um, and the same happened when we had to stop printing um, crinkling news. You know, you you show people what's possible, and you become an important part of their lives, like local and regional papers are. And then once it's gone, people go, "Well, hang on, why didn't we support that when it was there?" Um, you know, um, and so certainly for these communities that are uh, affected in Australia and, and in the US and in the UK as well, where these news deserts have started to appear, also in New Zealand it's happening, you know, there, there's a great sense of loss and not having people like Brooke on the ground talking to farmers and covering them in Indy Lakes, covering, you know, I, I can't tell you how important it is to have a news source locally to cover the latest shop opening, this stuff matters, you know, in small communities. It, it really matters to say, okay, well, now we have this service in town and how many new doctors do we have? And uh, we got a new pol- police officer, you know. This stuff matters to that o- that audience. Um, and it might not matter to anyone outside of it, but it's really important to the people reading that paper. Um, so um, I, think, I, I think we can't let that happen. Um, We're already seeing the appearance of news deserts in Australia that have been identified by the ACCC Um, and that's obviously got a lot worse over the last few weeks very rapidly and I think my view on particularly on local and regional news is that it is 
an essential service. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the sort of business model um, in news and, you know, um, you know, well, if you can't make it work, then it's just like any other business. Well, then, it, you know, you go out of business and that's life. You should have done a better job. I think news is more important than that. We all know news costs a lot to make. You hire people like Brooke who know their community, know their stuff, know their rounds. You've got to pay them. And, and then you've got to produce that, that content in a way that, you know, people can access it. And that costs money. And even if you take away the printing, it still costs money producing quality journalism. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult to put a price on that. Um, and I agree with Robert that, you know, we need to we need to have a range of measures to help regional and local news survive around the world, but we're talking about Australia here. And that's going to involve government and that's going to involve philanthropists um, and that's going to involve a, a different way of looking at news, not just seeing it like, in these case, another small business. I want to actually just stay on that because the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, which you mentioned, the ACCC, they found that there's 21 local government areas in Australia without a newspaper, 16 of these in regional areas. And something which I think really influenced the ACCC is actually the fact that in the US, they found in news deserts, local governments perform poorly. So you actually have the situation where in areas which no longer have a paper, the costs of local government go up, the procurement processes aren't as good, and they just perform poorly. Like, who knew? Journalists actually make government perform better, almost like a fourth estate, pardon the <laughs> obvious <laughs> point. Um, so I just wonder, if we do lose the newspaper, though, if you don't have those, that emphasis on making sure that you have a council story in the paper after every council meeting. Let's be honest, most councils are only covered by newspaper reporters. What happens to democracy? Are we about to see democracy go to seed? I might jump in there. I, I think this is the, the essence of what we do and picking up from Saffron's argument, we're, we're not a small business. We we actually are the centre of the business model that underpins democracy, or well, at least um, liberal democracy. I think it's, it, it, perversely, it is a terrific thing that the Sunraysia Daily has stopped printing. The outpouring of love that the community uh, has expressed and, and ripples right across the, the the rest of regional Australia does the shock treatment. People don't want to lose it, but sometimes you actually need to get to a point that uh, there is a, a dramatic um, expression of that crisis. And from that crisis, there can be a better understanding among the community about what we do. Journalism is incredibly important. And one, one of the things that, uh, that I would certainly argue that, uh, that Facebook and Google as news aggregators uh, don't recognise. Facebook's not a news aggregator, but on, on its on its social media platform, it's the biggest single source of news for uh, for many Western countries. They don't understand that the role that journalism plays. They don't understand the role that they should play in prioritising important original journalism. There's there's a huge amount of work to be done there. What it all has done is really allowed classic media to focus on what we do best. We're not content factories. We do great, when we are working at our best, we do great journalism that really enriches the lives of communities. Um, I bring it back to 
uh, the revolution that's been happening with uh, digital consumer revenue. That has probably been the biggest um, and unheralded revolution in journalism. Why? Because finally we've got really meaningful numbers that tell us what kind of journalism we should do. At first we thought it was just, uh, you know, go back 15 years, we had all sorts of metrics around how we were uh, being received on the internet, but that was volume-based. It really didn't tell us anything about the quality of what we should do. It gave us a false sense of, of what worked and what didn't. What we now have with digital subscriptions is that we know the kinds of stories that really matter to people in a way that has never been available before uh, for editors or publishers. We now know what we should do more of to be able to shine that light on the right part of, um, of our community. And we also, know that we, we also know that the people performing best with digital subscription strategies in the Western world are doing it from a strong sense of confidence. They know what their role is in the community. They stand for something that is strong. They are advocating for the improvement of the community. And it, it's not about being lobbyists, it's about being really clearly focused. Now, in an era of limited resources, you could say we don't quite have what we used to have to be able to produce that. I flipped that around. We've got plenty of resources available, but we have allocated them, especially in rural and regional newsrooms, in places that we have always done so traditionally. We, we have a whole range of investments because that's what we've always done. Now the numbers are telling us precisely where we should shift our focus. Stop doing things that don't matter to people. Stop spending as much time on things that don't matter to the community. Record them in briefs, record them briefly. But what we have in local media um, in regional Australia is really quite extraordinary. It isn't a generalist media business and Saffron alluded to this. We are a highly specialized business and that works really well in digital in digital subscriptions. So if we get our act together, we can, we can really finally uh, tune what kind of journalism matters to our readers. Robert, can I just challenge you on that though? Because is the uptake in digital subscriptions quick enough? Yes, this is an uptake, but is it quick enough with this advertising falling off a cliff? Uh, is, it, is it quick enough? Well, considering Everyone in regional Australia was pretty late to the to the digital subscriptions party. Um, I don't know what else we, we would expect. Our, it required investment. But the great thing about being last to the party, uh, the know-how of what needs to be done is really quite sophisticated. I've had the opportunity to write a global blueprint for the International News Media Association, and I chair their summits around the world. And... Uh, specifically on this topic, it is now very clear what that blueprint is. We know the roadmap. So the fact that the, we were late um, is not a problem. The fact that uh, we now experience uh, really good uptakes across uh, the regional businesses, uh, the, uh, the businesses in Queensland owned by um, News Corporation in local towns really were the, the frontier of this in Australia. Uh, the Australian Community uh, Media Group, formerly the Fairfax Regionals, are now getting really quite sophisticated in this, uh, following on from that. Uh, the company on, on whose board I sit, McPherson Media Group, um, is, uh, is now up to um, its ears in digital subscriptions. It's technology that's not yet readily available for the small shops 
And I would love to see a new tech stack uh, be funded for the industry as part of this transformation process. This is exactly what the Innovation Fund can do to make certain that we get that out there. It's not about the growth, it's about the quantum. And I certainly have seen lots of modeling that indicates we can generate enough money out of digital subscriptions to more than offset the decline in advertising. We need to prepare mentally and strategically for a post-advertising news media business. You know, it, it's no, um, no surprise that some of the, um, the pure players in digital news don't have any advertising. They get to that last. So we need to be able to have something that's, that's a mix of revenues but biased towards, uh, towards reader support. And when you do something as gutsy as the Sunraysia um, group has done and you actually make a call and the consumers come out, you can actually turn that into a rallying cry. Come and so if you like the kind of journalism you, um, we contribute to the community, if you want to support us, it's really, really easy if you do the following steps. But those media companies need to have those uh, avenues available for digital and print subscriptions to switch on. And most in regional Australia, the independents don't. Uh, the good thing is that technology is being enabled um, increasingly. It, Google's been investing in helping small publishers with subscription tools and, um, and Facebook to some extent as well. Brooke, you've actually been on an emotional roller coaster though. Uh, yeah, that's one way to describe it. <laughs> and at one point, surely you thought that this was an existential threat to regional media. Is that fair to say? Um, I've, I wasn't expecting it to come to this at all. I mean, one day I had my job, the next I didn't, and it just came out of nowhere and it just, just continued on. Like, you know, it was like newspaper after newspaper after newspaper and I, it was totally unexpected it yeah you're writing again but that's only because of the government's wage subsidy is that correct yeah yeah because of the job keeper payment yeah right so already we're seeing at the moment we would be in there would be no sunraysia daily if it wasn't for that government support at the moment i wouldn't i wouldn't imagine no um as the others were saying, though, once the once we announced that we were no longer um, printing, there was that sort of shock in the community. And when we um, announced that we would go ahead with the one newspaper a week, there was all this this outpouring support from everyone. I had emails from people saying, "I've subscribed now." Like I, you know, I didn't even think of it before, and you know, so that it did have that sort of effect. And yeah, it, yeah, the community really rallied behind us. Um, I think they were really scared to lose us, and they didn't realize probably how just how important we were. I mean, I can't speak on behalf of them all, but yeah, until they heard that we could possibly be gone. You're listening to Fourth Estate on the Community Radio Network, and we're talking remotely to Saffron Howden, Brooke Littlewood, and Robert Whitehead. Right, I want to find some light in this situation and talk about some possible solutions through uh, for the short and medium term survival of the sector. We've already talked about a couple of things, you know, that community shock, perhaps turning into subscriptions, some tech solutions. We've touched on the government innovation package. Five million has been expedited for release, which wasn't being expedited before. Is this going to help though really immediately what what does this actually mean that government money it's a good start but there's still a substantial amount of money sitting there um 
ready to be used. I mean, we're in a crisis now. Why, why not um, unlock those, the rest of those funds now? Do you know what I mean? Well said. Uh, there's $40 million that's been sitting there for months unallocated. What, um, what other message did they need if there was a problem with the submissions in round two? Uh, my goodness, they've had more than enough time to come forward. As it turns out, you know, Facebook and Google have been making a bigger contribution to uh, small publishers with direct grants to innovation projects than the federal government has, despite the fact it has an allocated budget. So it has certainly been slow off the mark. Um, I've got a huge criticism of the $5 million announcement out, uh, this week. I have no problem with public interest journalism. I think it's fantastic. But that fund is a small um, rural and regional innovation fund. And this $5 million for public interest journalism has been op opened up to the entire sector. I know there are small publishers in, um, in metro markets, and I know they qualify for it. But this is a, this is a very different take and it really doesn't uh, understand what uh, what's going on outside the cities and that's what that fund was set up to do and public interest journalism and uh, I, I get really quite worked up about this public interest journalism has a very different meaning outside the inner suburbs of Melbourne, Canberra and Sydney. Shining a light on council affairs in regional areas where money is being allocated is public interest journalism. It may not be journalism that is going to win a Walkley Award, but keeping reporting happening, doing uh, investigative reporting as is possible in the regions on tight budgets is exceptionally important. And it is the scaled version of journalism that is there to serve the community. I also think um, local um, publishers um, and, and all, all news, um, you know, uh, platforms need to um, look at different ways of, of making their money. We're seeing quite a few models now in the US where they're diversifying their business. So they might be doing a lot of events, for instance, and making a lot of money out of that, and that supports their journalism. And I think there's a big place for that, particularly in local and regional, because it's a discrete audience. You know your audience really well already. And if you can then start diversifying out your business to support the journalism that you're doing, know that knowing that that's the essential part of what you're doing is really important. And the final thing I'd say, which is only is on, on this point, which is sort of tangentially related, is that um, I think that, um, you know, we've got in Australia, we've got a small uh, population in the scheme of things um, and therefore quite a small media market. Um, any support, I think, from government and from philanthropists and, and, um, and other business, we're, we're seeing, for instance, business step in to try and help the barrier daily truth in Broken Hill at the moment. Um, my, my view, um, based on what everything that I've seen, is that we need to focus on um, helping those local news publishers. So we've got some big media companies in Australia. Um, that's, you know, they're there and that's great. But I think um, the, the best kind of local journalism is done from the local community, which is why people like Brooke do such an excellent job. They're part of their community. The owner is part of the community. The editor is part of the community. And they have a connection and a knowledge of their audience, which you just don't get when your headquarters or, or whatever is, is um, you know, a thousand miles away. Um, I think locally owned um, news media is really important. And if I were um, in the terrible position of being a a politician and, and having to make decisions, I would be focusing on that right now. 
I just very quickly, I know we're running out of time. I just very quickly want to touch on the point some people are making that, well, why doesn't the ABC just do all of regional Australia reporting? The the regional ABC Bureau that I've been to, they're um they're fantastic. I think they do a really good job. Um, they're they're not. They don't have huge numbers of staff. Um, they yeah. Come from really, really, really large regions. These staff, like I'm talking physically, geographically yeah. large regions. And a lot of the research suggests that the news that is broken, and I think you referred to this um, right at the beginning of the program, the news that is broken, um, the new news is is often done by the local papers. And I think there's a really nice synergy between what the local paper does and their journalists and then what the ABC does. And they kind of work together in some way. They do. Sorry, yeah. I'm jumping in here. Can I ask you what, um, your, like, a couple of your favourite stories that you've covered while you've worked at the Sunraiser Daily that you felt like made a difference? Definitely following the drought in the Millowa and getting out there, um, meeting those farmers and sharing their stories. That was something that I was really proud of. And I also did a series for mental health. Um, I spoke to some mothers in the community who'd lost their children to suicide. And I, um, yeah, so I, I, I spoke to them. They shared their stories with me. And, you know, we um, sort of, through those stories, we gave understanding of the sort of ripple effect that suicide has once, you know, someone someone has taken their own life. You know, they say that for one life that is lost, there's 130 lives that are affected, I think. So that was something that I was really proud of as well, as well as the coverage with the um, water crisis as well um, in Menindi and Pooncary, yeah. Okay, so we are at the end of our time. I know that it's still an uncertain time in the Sunraysia Daily. So, Brooke and everyone out there in regional Australia, I know that all of us wish you all the best. Thank you so much. If I can just uh, thank my panel, Saffron Howden, journalist, media literacy advocate and co-founder of Crinkling News, Robert Whitehead, media and tech investor and former editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, Brooke Lidwood, award-winning agricultural journalist who is working at the Sunraysia Daily in Mildura, which is going through a very crazy time at the moment, but is being loved by the community. Thank you, all of you. And thanks for listening to The Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the community radio network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation, and we thank them for their continuing support. Make sure you're subscribed to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so that you can hear us talk media, politics and a few things in between. Also, can we ask you to tell our friends about Fourth Estate so we can share this unique insight into our media and body politics. We'll be back with more next week. But in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. Thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name's Chrysanthi Giotis. Thanks for listening. Listening.